You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff-style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft-clipping, high-gain, amp-in-a-box-style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com. That's summerschoolelectronics.com and check them out today. This episode of the Tone Mob podcast is brought to you by, of course, our fine Fine folks over at Sinusoid. You're going to want to keep your eyes glued to their social media. Uh, Better yet, sign up for their email list. Uh, Go over to sinusoid.com. You can get on that newsletter. And they've got some some wild stuff cooking. Stuff I never thought would have been coming. But I've heard about it, and now I'm teasing you. I hate to be that tease, but I'm teasing you with it now. It's going to be good. Go to sinusoid.com, sign up for the newsletter. You'll be glad you did. It's actually a really, uh, it's actually the best newsletter I'm subscribed to right now. They put all kinds of cool stuff on there, not just their own stuff. You can find new music. You can find just what the guys are up to. It's a great, uh, it's a great email uh, newsletter to be subscribed to, and obviously the finest cables in the nation. So go to sinusoid.com, check them out today. This episode is also brought to you by some of my favorite people in the business, and that would be the wonderful family behind Fuzz Roche's Pedals. Fuzz Roche's Pedals, if you are not familiar, they are responsible for some of my favorite just weirdo crazy things like the afterlife or the anomalies. I mean, if you're not familiar with that company, I highly suggest you get familiar Hit up the YouTubes, hit up the interwebs, research Fuzz Rush's pedals, and find out what this, uh, it's a family pedal building operation. That's why it's so cool. It's a whole family thing. They're all in it together. They're making great stuff. Ryan and Shannon and the whole clan are, uh, are up to just all kinds of shenanigans. So check out Fuzz Rush's pedals and thank me later. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. As you know, I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have somebody I've been wanting to talk to for quite a while, Mr. Tavo from the Nocturne Brain. How's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's, uh, it's really exciting, isn't it? Like, is this all you ever dreamed of? Hey. When you come to podcasting? It's... Uh... <laughs> It's actually relatively new. Um, 
I I think this is my third podcast ever that I've been on. Well, that's that's hey. So you're a veteran at this point. Oftentimes, <laughs> uh, they hear like this is my first podcast. I'm like, it's cool. With just two dudes being dudes. Like, yeah. it's not too complicated. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll uh we'll not get too far off before. It. Let's just uh kind of dive in and let people tell people who you are, what you do. Uh, you you kind of give them your musical backstory, and then we'll just kind of riff from there. Okay. Uh, can I do it in thirty seconds? You no, could do. Uh, you got like a whole. You got a whole hour. So yeah, whatever you want to do. I don't think we'll torture them that way. When I was born in Orange County at Orange General Hospital. Now, um, uh, as far as uh, the business goes, that's relatively new in my life. As you know, the music, the music business. Um, far as pedal making and stuff like that um it's only i started in 2008 the end of 2008 um, right and uh i've i've had a music side business you know for i don't know since the, maybe the early 90s when i started modding friends tube screamers and their vox wah pedals um and modifying guitars and that was i kind of had to do that as a musician because that's what i've been doing um basically since the beginning of the 90s um as a profession because i've been mm -hmm. in in the uh the christian world of praise and worship um i never wanted to be uh a uh well i'm a, i'm considered a music director now at the presbyterian church um okay. i'm leading i'm leading their uh what they call contemporary service but um the uh where was i going with this um yeah <laughs> see I, I have no script so, I'm, I'm lost well the, ask me questions fine. i think so, we'll get through this uh, faster so, oh well the speed is not of the essence here uh so you you mentioned that you were a musician and you were you know repairing guitars and stuff back in the day but like what what was your start like what was what made you pick up the guitar in the first place Oh, uh, I, all I have are pictures. I can, I can't actually remember that far back, but you know, my dad's got me with my first little plastic guitar standing by the front door with his Elvis albums and Bill Black trio and stuff like that. Cause my dad was, was a guitarist singer in a rock band back in the early sixties. And that's actually that's how sweet. my, yeah, that's how my mom and he met, he was on his way to a gig and she had a flat tire and he pulled over to ask her if she needed help. And he lied and told her his name was Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> What's his real name? Tavo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. And, um, it was, that's a classic story. That's like right out of a movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so rockabilly. I know it's kind of sad, uh, but you know, not he, at uh, all. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very yeah. It's rock and roll. It um, you know, he was he was playing with a band in Orange County called Danny and the Mystics, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess that didn't last too long once I was born. So, um, he uh, he was doing that work in construction, but uh, once the band ended, he um, I think he's the only one alive still too in that band. You know, with drugs and alcohol in the sixties. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So he, he kind of had a big life change. Um, 
my mom was pushing him to go to church and he didn't want to do all that stuff. And so it was kind of hard for him, but he was working at Hobie skateboard factory <laughs> making skateboards. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, I guess he couldn't hang with that. And shortly after that, he got a job at Fender. And so, you know, oh, wow. I, I, I still, you know, it's for me, that's like bragging rights because my dad worked at Fender and, you know, he, he built a guitar that he used and I ended up, you know, gigging with as a kid, a Fender Coronado. And I just, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And what's really gross is that he had a bunch of parts, boxes of parts. And as a little kid, um, he'd be at work and I'd be going through all these old parts. It makes me sick to even say it, but I would be pulling pickups apart. And these were vintage Jag and Jazzmaster pickups, oh. you know, worth hundreds of dollars each. And um, yeah, he locked he locked all that stuff up, but I had already like kind of ruined the pickups and I was just always taking things apart, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. it's come back on me. My youngest, my youngest is causes the same problems. <laughs> He's oh, always no. pulling stuff apart. But anyway, yeah, that's, so I, I was always fooling with guitars. I, my dad was trying to get me to play accordion as a first instrument because he wanted me to read music. And back in okay. Santa Ana, um, there was this company called Milton Mann Studios and they would go and try to you know, hijack neighborhoods and get kids to play accordion and then sell their parents the accordion and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. um, we went down there, they invited us to go down to this studio, downtown Santa Ana back when downtown Santa Ana, well, actually Santa Ana is looking really good lately, but, um, it went through some dark decades, but back then, you know, you could walk around, it was safe and all that. And we went into, that studio and this guy did this big old demo and the only thing i remember about that time because i was i don't know maybe eight years old but mm -hmm. i just remembered this big huge mother of pearl accordion with a white coily cable into a fender twin and oh yeah <laughs> and that's all i could think about was like i want to play you know play that accordion through that amplifier because my dad mm -hmm. you know my dad quit that band but he would um um his cousin would come over and he worked at fender too um my dad was kind of in the finishing department and my uh my dad's cousin worked in the bass department and so mm -hmm. he'd show up with a big fender baseman and they would sit out front and they would both, you know, sit there and just jam bass and guitar out on the front lawn. And nice. so I was, you know, again, I, at that point, the rock and roll thing hadn't really hit me, but I just loved the amplifier. I loved, you know, how, and then how his, old, how old were you at this time? Roughly. Oh, that, that was, yeah, I was about eight years old. Okay. You know, I'll probably uh, be told otherwise after, but that's where <laughs> that's the story and I'm sticking to it because I just, right. yeah, because I just remember living down in Santa Ana and, and those memories were there. And then also, you know, for forever, my dad would come home for work because he ended up the, you know, the, the fender job didn't last, didn't last very long. Um, when he was there, Leo, Leo was uh, sick and that transition was going to, be taking place where CBS took it over. And mm -hmm. I've got blurry images of being in the back of 
you know, their Buick, their 60, what was a 61 Buick LeSabre. And we would be in front of those Quonset huts and my dad would, my mom would pick my dad up and we'd go home. But I don't think he worked there more than three years um, because they started laying everyone off. And so he ended up going off to work for, I don't remember the company, Golden West Homes and, you know, did that for the most of his life. But he would come home late and I just remember the Magnetone uh, Varsity amplifier that he had with his Fender Coronado and he was constantly playing that. And so um, from, you know, Friday nights in particular, he would sit me next to him and we would sing old gospel songs, you know, um, my parents worship Elvis. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. we had Elvis gospel and Johnny Cash and stuff like that. So it's actually from, it. you know, it's, I, I think if anything stuck with me, it was the love of the instrument and the sound, the smell of the tubes cooking in that old amp and singing with my dad. And that was, that was kind of the start of it. Um, the accordion thing, um, that was nothing but a fight. You know, they put me in the room with the accordion and an egg timer, and I hated everything about that thing. Ironically, now we have three accordions, and my wife plays accordion uh, in the band. <laughs> nice. So, <laughs> so you got a you got a family band situation going on, right? Not to hop all over the place, but is yeah. Well, that's you know that's I, it, it wasn't supposed to happen that way, but. We do, because I remember years ago, my wife's like, oh, I just, it would be so amazing if we had a family band. I'm like, that sounds not fun at all. You know, I'd, but that was when the kid, you know, my oldest was really small. And, but yeah, we uh, were over at, for the time being, because we've moved to San Diego now, but we're over at Magnolia Presbyterian in Riverside. And uh, like 2003, that church had never had a rock service. And mm -hmm. And I think I actually got hired because I had big, huge three-quarter hoops, you know, piercings in my ears and covered in tats. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that and they kind of like the the Johnny Cash worship stuff I was doing at that time. Because um, I, had, I had gotten tired of, of being in churches and stuff like that. Probably doesn't sound very good, but kind of always a, what they call a, square peg in a round hole. And mm -hmm. so it's always kind of been a, a love hate relationship with working at church, not a love hate relationship with church or with, you know, Christ who I follow. Um, mm -hmm. but just being in, being a musician and hanging around other musicians and trying to make us fit into the, the church thing just never really worked. Plus I was always, you know, fooling around with the guitar business on the side. So anyway, right. Um, when I finally went back to this church, a Presbyterian church of all places, you know, they wanted a rock band and, um, I started playing there and shortly after my son who was like 15 at the time, mm -hmm. he's like, uh, the, the basis that I had uh, playing with me when I, when I went back to the church is I kind of hired a guy who a friend of mine who was just saying, Hey man, if you want to ever want a gig, you know, you just got to pay me kind of the, the union scale and I'll play upright for you. You, you need to get back into playing again. As I took about five years off, I, I quit being at church and the whole bit. And, uh, we just kind of had a family church thing and read the Bible together and all that, but I didn't want anything mm -hmm. to do with 
being at church and all that. But anyway, we won't go there. Um, right. It just, yeah. But we just ended up, I mean, it's kind of hard n- not to go there a little bit because I, I am a musician. I am paid, <laughs> you know, I've done this my whole life. Uh, and ironically, the stage is where I create things when I come back, things that would work for me as a musician, as a musician playing live, you know, for the nocturne brain. So anyway, right. that's where you get the uh, inspiration or the ideas oftentimes is in the moment. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, had for years, this. yeah, it used to be like, it's like, man, I can't stand, you know, go, going all the way back to the, the early nineties where, you know, I had tube screamer and it's just like, I cannot stand the way this thing compresses the low end of my guitar. You know, I, I can't stand mm-hmm. the mid hump and all that stuff. And that made me pull, you know, tube screamers apart and start modding them back. Um, this is a long time ago, but analog man, you know, Mike had his, his website in the nineties was just like a Bible for me. Um, besides all the magazines that I collected, you know, I, my, my first computer was, um, I don't even know if you were born in 1996. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'm, I'm kind of young, but I'm not that young. Uh, Yes. I, those were, those were what I would probably 96. That was when I was really, uh, um, how old would I have been? I'm 88. So yeah, I was really in the prime of my life at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I, I got that, I got that computer in 96. Um, cause I was over at my drummer's house and he's like, check this computer out, man. You can go online and you can just see anything. And I'm like, can you go to Fender? Does Fender have a website? And, you know, it, it took forever for the pictures to pop up, but it was just like, I got to get a computer. I mean, I had been using computers since uh, like the late 80s, but, you know, as far as the Internet, that was that was a new thing to me. Um, of course. I had a plastics. I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, oh no, you're good. That, that That's just right around the time I think that everyone was starting. Like, what's what's the World Wide Web? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was, it was an amazing thing, you know, to, to sit there, have this computer and my brother-in-law hooked me up with a Duke Nukem. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, so, well, that's, so that's one thing. Like we were probably playing that game to get like around the same time. So, you know, I was, you're just a little bit older than I was. So (laughs) yeah, a whole lot older (laughs) because see, I was, I had that computer in 96. I had Duke Nukem on and, and due to the, you know, the vocation I have is during the day, my wife's a dental hygienist. So during the day, I was taking care of a, a new baby, my oldest son. So he was sleeping in my arms and I'd be sitting there playing games and <clears throat> while well, he took his naps and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, that was like 21 years ago. <laughs> nice. That's good times. So let's see. Internet came along. Uh, you were researching like crazy on the Analog Man website. Is that kind of when did you go? You know, I know you said you started the business up properly in about '08 or so, but mm-hmm. um, when did you first kind of? What was the first Nocturne pedal that was like not you, not like you taking apart another pedal and modifying it? When did you like put it in your own case and call it? You know, do do that whole thing. Well, see the the thought of making my own pedal. You know, I always always talked about it with with other friends. We'd actually get together. This was like, like I said, in the 
mid nineties where you just had, you'd get the latest guitar player and there'd be an article, whatever. And we would kind of just get there and pull our guitars apart. We called our strats our Barbies. And so we were always having competitions, <laughs> you know, trying to do all these things to our guitars. Um, but it was, it was that, uh, it was being unemployed <laughs> when I left, when I left that, the, like I said, left being a, a an actual worship pastor. Um, mm -hmm. I had just, I had had it, it was 2000, uh, yeah, 2007 or something. And, um, I just, I had to quit. Couldn't do it anymore. Didn't know what I was going to do, but you know, as our, for our family, we were just like, this is just taking too much out of us. And, I need to, I need to escape a uh, sabbatical as they call it in the church. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I thought I was going to get a job right away, but, um, 2008 was a horrible year. <laughs> 2000. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Great job market yeah, at the time. Yeah. Cause the house we had, it was just a, you know, it's a little rancher, but that thing was in Riverside, California was worth almost 500,000 right before the crash. And then when everything fell apart, the house across the street was selling for 185000 You know, it just <laughs> oh, fell man. apart. That's brutal. And so, you know, I couldn't get a job. The uh, We weren't hardly able to pay our, our mortgage. You know, sadly, my wife had to go add an extra day to what she was doing. And you know, just panicking, I just started buying guitars with little bits of extra money that we needed for our budget. But I started fixing guitars up and and flipping those things. And, uh, I had had this, you know, there's, there's this long backstory to how I would ever start a pedal company because that really wasn't a thought process, but I think it was just kind of a desperate, a desperate move where it's like, I'm not getting a job. I'm not getting any younger. Mm -hmm. And, um, at that point I'm, I'm still stay at home dad with two kids now. Um, what am I going to be able to do? And my wife was just pushing on me. She goes, you know, you said that you wanted to try to, to get the Brian, you've been after this Brian Setzer sound, you know, you really need to move forward with that thing you've been tinkering with. And I had a, a friend um, that knew that I wasn't working and I was struggling. And he was the first one. He goes, I'm going to send you, because I don't know if you have any space echoes, and I know oh, those are all long gone. I've sold all those because I had been, mm -hmm. you know, buying all these different space echoes and stuff, different tape echoes, trying to get this Brian Setzer sound, not rockabilly, not whatever. It, you know, a lot of people think that I was trying to like dial in Brian Setzer sound, um, but it was the way he played and, and what um, he and what he did his pick technique. He would go from flat picking and then tuck the pick Eddie Van Halen style and start Travis picking. And mm -hmm. there would, there wouldn't be a whole lot of change in the tone of his attack. And, you know, so I had finally got, you know, I have this whole story on a blog about how I ended up with getting my first Gretsch for $750, so Brian Setzer model. But, you know, I, here I had the guitar and, you know, wow, big surprise. It didn't sound like Brian Setzer, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then I ended up. Yeah, you know, I know that that's a problem that a lot yeah. of us have. Yeah, and then there's a lot of old farts on the on the farms. are just like it's in your fingers. It's not your stupid pedals, and you know that whole argument. Oh, yeah. But um, 
Don't get me started. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I've got a rant piece out there somewhere about that. Anyway, well, I'm I'm ready to go anytime <laughs> those guys start up on me with that stuff. But um, yeah, so you know, I had the guitar, and then I started, you know, looking at oh, well, Brian Setzer's his ABM saddles are drilled. And so I was sitting there and I'm drilling out the saddles and it's like, oh, that brings up the the treble a little bit more, a little, little bit more bite. And then it's like, no, man, I, I have got to get a blonde. I don't know how I'm going to pay for one, but I got to get a blonde amp. And so, you know, I, I traded off guitars and I got a really beat up blonde amp. And um, I had, I, I don't, I actually do not know what the hell I'm doing. You know, I can fix stuff. And that's why <laughs> my first business was called the wired turtle. And what happened is, um, again, being in the, the Christian music scene and all that way out on the edges, but being in that and then in church worship, you know, the PNW as a call it, I guess now all the young folks, P-dubs, P-dubs. <laughs> P-dubs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, these guys would, they'd be, you know, out touring and they would come in and they would come hang at our house and had some friends like there's a band what was a band called ember and uh dan you know dan and his friend jeremy would bring their friends over and they'd have broken things on their guitars or they wanted to hot rod their guitars or they need their amps fixed and stuff and so you know it just ended up becoming a little business fixing all their stuff and fixing up pedals, you know, like I had said, the tube screamer thing kind of turned into a, a more busybody thing and tweaking other people's effects that work for their, their, their rigs. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but, uh, brain fart. So why the, what, what, yeah. Why'd the turtle, what, what's the turtle have to do with anything? You were going into your first business was, was the, the wired turtle. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's right? because I could fix, I could fix your amp and your guitars but don't expect to get him back anytime soon. And, you know, I'd, okay. mess, <laughs> okay. I'd mess it up and I'd go back and, you know, just trial and error because I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. But when it was done, it was better than it was when it started. Because I, you know, you, you, I've, you obviously, like my older son, bright kid, you know, he's got a, almost a free ride scholarship his third year as a psych major. Um but he's and and he's always been the one alongside me stuffing the pedal boards and soldering and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. he's he's not the the real mechanical hands on guy, you know. Um, right. But that's been something that's in me. My dad would have me holding the flashlights under the cars, fixing them and stuff like that. So it was, it just it came natural to do that stuff and you know yeah. kind of be the jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but so that's how I ended up, I ended up getting a little business license, um, and it was called the wired turtle and it really wasn't much to speak of. It's, you know, we kind of call it tent making, you know, it was just help pay for groceries, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, going back to the actual question, you know, when did I first start the business and making my own thing? It was yeah. that friend sending me that tape echo and, uh, he said, you know, I want you to have this, you know, you can tear it apart. It's not running very well, but he goes, I want you to, to go after this and look inside and see what it is. What's that magic Brian Setzer thing that you've been, you know, whining and bitching about all these years. 
on the because there's a it's it's a ghost town now, but there's this thing called the Hoodoo Voodoo Lounge, and I think I've been a moderator there for the last fifteen years or whatever. But usually, it's just to go there and to remove spam and porn links and stuff. You know, it's just <laughs> it's a ghost town. But that's where we used to go back and forth and try to figure out what this guy was doing and. Uh, I think we got off on a tangent one point where it's like, there's no way you can make an amp, you know, basement at five sound like Brian Setzer's where the high end starts clipping and the low end stays tight. There's just no way to do it without running a variac or whatever. So, you know, people mm -hmm. were taking pictures and we were trying to see behind the amps and stuff like that, you know. And, um, and this is way before, like, I, I remember when I, well, it was actually right around the time that I got introduced to your brand that like. I was like, hmm, he's chasing the Brian Setzer sound. I'm like, I wonder what is the Brian Setzer sound? So this is how spoiled we are now. I Google Brian Setzer rig rundown. Oh, look, here's a video. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah. not like it was back then where you were like having to like really hunt and like rely on people like sneaking pictures and like mm -hmm. things like that. It, it, and, not, and, and we got to keep in mind just to keep this in perspective for everybody, like it, the fact we haven't been walking around with high definition cameras in our pocket on our person at all times for very long. Yeah. Like it's only in the last few years that that's been the case. Ten years ago, you were rocking a Motorola Razor if you were really lucky, mm -hmm. and, you Seriously. know, and and well, the, the, you couldn't tell what was going on, you know. Yeah. Well, with I, those, with I was, those cameras along those lines. Um, I was trying to get um. An extra a room. I had booked a couple nights um, down in Orange County for the NAMM show, and I got some requests to, to be involved with a, another show on Saturday. So um, I took the weekend off working at church, and I was looking for a hotel room. And as I'm looking around to see, you know, because there's slim pickings at this point, and there's oh, like yeah. crazy prices. Because at first I was going to try to add an extra room because we're staying at the Disneyland. I'm going to stay at the Disneyland Hotel. And um, mm -hmm. I love that place. The beds are amazing. That's my insider hotel tip there. But uh -huh. um, didn't know. Yeah, because I, I usually cannot sleep in any hotel. I just, I'm awake all night just staring out. But at Disneyland Hotel, not the Grand Hotel, that's a, that's a, child nightmare place <laughs> but there's this weird kind of off kilter disney music playing all night just echoing through the halls and the and the doors oh, and no. stuff and yeah that's that's a different story for a different time but the regular anyway, disneyland hotel yeah though. but going back to this whole thing about cell phones and stuff is you know these hotels can't get away with anything anymore because I uh, I'm thinking uh like and I probably shouldn't mention hotel names but um I'm going down this list and there were like eight left and these stupid rooms are all like two hundred and eighty dollars where I had booked that the first two rooms you know way back in wherever it was October where I was paying yeah. two hundred a night flat for each room. And now that same room at Disneyland, I couldn't get because it's stinking four hundred twelve dollars a night. Oh no! Yeah. yeah. So with the, with a hotel room, I'm like, I think I'm going to enter the, these hotels in TripAdvisor and and go and look at the horrible ones, you know. And you have to obviously half the things you have to take with a grain of sand because some uptight person was spoken to harshly yeah. and they fall apart, you know. But 
what was crazy on TripAdvisor is people are taking pictures and they can post them of their hotel rooms. And mm-hmm. I was, dude, I was terrified. I was terrified. Some of uh, two hotels in general, which I thought were really good hotels and I've stayed at in the past, people are posting pictures of their arms with bed bug bites and it just, and walls leaking, looking, looking like poop in the corner. <laughs> It's, oh no, it's no, like, no. Oh god, I'm not staying at this place. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah. The, Let me I guess we we can t- I mean, we can talk about this a little bit later, but like you got to get on that Airbnb stuff, man. It's amazing. I love Airbnb. Really? Uh, uh Oh yeah. Well, I I'll have I'm I'll staying ha- in a I'm, I'm Oh, I'm staying in a treehouse at Nam. I'll be staying in a treehouse cuz found it through, Yeah. Through Airbnb, man. <laughs> How did I mean me four and, people? Me and my buddy Jess. It, no, just 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 two de- two dudes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, I got to feed. It looks super. I gotta feed I'll, four I'll send people. you some pictures. It's hard when you got to feed four people and get them, you know, sleeping a whole night. That sort of thing. It's not a definitely not a, a camping trip for us when we go. So it's no, a, it's no. Expensive. This is. I'll send you some pictures. Yeah, I think you'll 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 appreciate this. This thing looks sweet. Well, that's good to <laughs> and know. It's cheap. That's cool because yeah. it that actually sounds like there's on that list. There was this one hotel called the Wolf. I don't remember what it was Wolf Cave or something, but the whole the entire hotel is all water park. There's like tubes going through the rooms, and <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was amazing. But I thought if we book that place, then we're not going to go to Nam. We're just going to be fooling around, you know, and not get any sleep. <laughs> But anyway, I'm sorry that got off on a hotel tangent, but it's just, yeah, with with our cameras now and being so amazing, I got my wife an iPod Pro, and I cannot believe the camera on that thing compared to my iPhone 6. You know, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can find, you know, anyone is told on instantly. <laughs> you know, you can, there's nothing. That's right. Yeah. But Brian, you know, it's interesting. You said you Googled Brian Setzer's rig and um, that video you saw, I'm pretty sure it's the one with Tyler Sweet and uh, yeah, yeah, guitar. That was, wow. That... Tyler does. Yeah, way to remember. <laughs> no, I, I got all that stuff catalog, dude. That's it's it's a it's a sickness, but it's it's part of the part of the job. Um, right. But I just laughed through that whole video because Tyler absolutely told you nothing you needed to know <laughs> he was it was almost like he was bound by some invisible contract it's like he gave <laughs> he told you the guitars he gave basics and all that stuff but all those other things and things that i know that i probably shouldn't speak of um they it wasn't it wasn't told and so actually it's like if you really want a a better you know mechanical breakdown of of how he gets what he does is a a friend of mine. It's called Gad's ramblings, a post, a a blog. Mm -hmm. And he's got a couple posts um, because he was after that same tone quest and got himself a a blonde fender. And it didn't sound anything like, you know, the videos that I had done. And he's just like, this amplifier just sounds horrible. And, so we had to go in and it's like, well, let's look at the, the uh, filter caps. And it's like all these amplifiers, all the hippies took these beautiful blonde amps were only made for a, for a few years, you know, basically three, mm-hmm. three and a half years. And they tightened up the filter caps. They, because those amplifiers also, the uh, 
power the output transformers were four ohm. Uh, these guys were running eight ohm cabs because their friends told them it was it was good, which is not true. You know, a Fender amplifier can go down to two ohm uh, if it's a four ohm uh, output transformer. It can run strong at two ohms, but you put eight ohms on that, you're going to burn out that transformer. And so there's a you know those amps that are out there, a majority of them have a replaced output transformer and it's blackface. And that's that's another mm. that's another contention, you know, a different story, different time, but you get these guys going, oh, there's no need to have a mercury magnetic output transformer. This is fine, and all that advertising hype and says, no, that is not true. Number one, the guys at Mercury Magnetics are, are amazing, and that company's been around since the 50s. Um, building industrial transformers, but mm -hmm. their tone clone series, there are some transformers that don't exist for the general public and, you know, other outside of what they do. And one of those is the blonde 6G6B and 6G6A transformer, a very specific and particular transformer that is vital to that amp. And they make, you know, because mm -hmm. that's the, and that, and, and you know, I'm I'm in bed with them, you know. They they are the ones that supply me the the transformers for my uh, blonde shell amp, which is just mm -hmm. the normal side of a uh, of a sixty three sixty six B amp. Um, and I also make a, a 1939, 1940s Gibson EH one eighty five octal tube amp, and we need those transformers that they make. You can't just go and grab whatever's on you know your favorite online part supply store and, and put them in there i mean they'll work but if you want it to be and respond and do the things that you know you hear it's got to be done right and so anyway the transformer is a big it's a big part of the sound and a lot of people don't don't realize that yeah. in in vox amps uh you know an ac30 ac15 and the uh particularly the blonde fender amps that output transformer it has a whole lot to do with the sound and the response. So mm -hmm. anyway, um, again, tangents, you got to rein me in here, but, um, no, no, that's what this is all about. Yeah. So the, Gad's ramblings, he, he kind of gives you the breakdown of that. And, and like I said, these guys would burn them out and they would put blackface in and the amps instead of this sounds so silly, but a blonde, when you crank it up, you know, it grinds and it, and it rocks, you know, um, but it's not a brawler. The the blackface amp, that thing is a big clanging brute, you know, when you once you crank mm -hmm. that thing up. And it'll saturate, you know, but all the neighbors will be saturated and your head will be, you know, because <laughs> it's really a, a loud amp. But the blonde, you know, it's that once you get up to that that point right around four or five, um, and there's some other aspects of that, you know, that that cause that amplifier to start saturating in the power section and it stays very very clean in the lows and breaks up on the top end you know that's one of its amazing features and so yeah you got to you got to get all those things right there's this whole recipe and and Brian I think Brian Setzer is like he, I don't even know if you remember this TV show it was Columbo oh yeah <laughs> you know he played like he didn't know what was going on but that dude knew you know, he was a master. <laughs> he knew he was playing everyone else. Well, that's my speculation. I, I've I've got to actually hang out with Brian one time backstage and play his guitar and stuff. But um, 
very cordial and that's and, awesome and sweet man. Yeah. Um, but he, I think he plays on the side of, you know, yeah, I just play guitar, whatever. It's like, no way that dude, his, his sound is dialed in and for a reason, there's a very specific sound. And that's why I said it was just like, I had to chase that ghost. I had to find out what it was because it wasn't just the guitar, you know, it wasn't just the amp and that space echo ended up being, there was like, I, cause I had had space echoes before I had the RE, what is it? 100, 100, 150 RE. Uh, there was an odd one I had too, uh, not the 201. It was one just before that. Anyway, um, yeah, the 201. And I had got a 301 and it just was a mess. And so I ended up selling those. And I just, I kept, because my focus was right. And, you know, sometimes you're looking at something and you, you miss the, what do they call it? The forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Or the trees for the forest. Anyway, um, yeah. First time. You, yeah, you had yeah. it for the first time. You're good. You know, and, <laughs> you t- and you get a different perspective. And we're like, oh. So that first time around, I kept going after the tape echo. And it's like, nah, it's not there. But, you know, my friend helped me when I was down, sent me that space echo and said I could just take it apart. And the one thing that I had found is Setzer was using this crazy long guitar cable. And, you know, he plays really big stages. And he's going back and forth. So, you know, utilitarian, obviously you need a longer cable, but a lot of guys will buy these space echoes and go, Oh, they sound like muddy crap or whatever. And it's like, that's, it's true because those space echoes were made by Roland to be a line level effect, basically to be inserted in a a PA or to be used for keyboards. Um, And so, you know, guitarists would see when Setzer finally started using that because, you know, if you jump back to when he was in the Stray Cats, he would he didn't have a space echo. Um, we had to do mm-hmm. had to do research on that, too, because the photos, it almost seemed like he, all the photographers were told they could not film like certain angles of Brian. And so you could never find out what he was using. But, you know, like like you said, just how the the photography and, the, and people you know, filing stuff on Pinterest, we started seeing pictures and finding videos and seeing the things he used. Cause the stray cats, there's a definitely different sound early going on because he was using <laughs> a, uh, a boss, uh, analog delay, the DM two, and he would tuck mm-hmm. it back around the corner to, because he wanted to be, you know, <laughs> he wanted to look like a, a true rockabilly, I guess, you know, pedals, pedals in the blues world and stuff like that, or, it's changing, but for a long time, it's kind of like that's your week if you use stuff like that, which is really silly. <laughs> Don't get yeah. me started. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Dick Dale relies on his <laughs> reverb tank. You know, it's like that's mm-hmm. that's an effect. Um, but even you know, tremolo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even yeah. O- even an overdriven amp is an is an effect. Let's be Dwayne Eddy. You know this rock and roll hall of famer. Um, I'm going to drop this like a, like a hot rock on your foot. Boom. Dwayne Eddy uses my, my dino brain. Um, so, you know, you've, you got, go. you've got, you've got this guy who's actually, he's open-minded enough to, to go with uh, guitar pedals, but it's because when that first hit he had, it was a D-Armin, uh it was a D'Armond tremolo, that little old freestanding box mm-hmm. with a, with the clear knobs on it. I don't, you can't really mm-hmm. call it an oil an oil uh can tremolo Not exactly but it was yeah yeah that had that little thing that the little wow i sound so technical the little 
the little capsule <laughs> with a liquid in it. But anyway, uh, yeah, you can go on forever. Most of these guys, they all get their sound. There was a pedal involved with it, but. And or something, yeah. some sort of something. Yeah, anyway, well, you know, Brian Setzer, well, and, and, you know, I was talking about Brian Setzer being like Columbo. He recently made a statement that's like, yeah, I don't like guitar pedals because I trip all over them. So that started the old farts again going, see, he doesn't mm. use effects. It's like the Roland Space Echo is a rack unit. <laughs> you have a, you have an analog chorus. You have a three channel preamp. You have a mechanical reverb and you have a spring tank solid state reverb in a box it's a rack you know and mm -hmm. and if you want you can plug in the remote pedals you know on the, the flick the the settings on and off you know but anyway yeah those guys are just gonna they just want to fight but uh it, it was that it, it it turned out to be that it was not the mechanical uh tape in that re301 that he was using and it was very specific too. Uh, I know Bo Boss made the uh, RE20, um, and mm -hmm. they did a fantastic job of making an emulator because mm -hmm. the RE201 um, was more a Class A discrete. It has transistors in it uh, and carbon uh, carbon resistors. Um, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. carbon comp. Uh, carbon resistors the carbon comp so it's, a, it's noisier and it's fartier it's got this bloated low end thing to it and the headroom sucks if you push it up it just starts you know kind of falling apart unless you're using you're sticking to a telly or, or a strat something like that but the re301 um they changed that they uh lowered the noise floor they went with just carbon resistors and they had a very specific uh op amp that went in it and it cleaned it up brought the headroom up made the the mm -hmm. lows a little more woody sounding and um it has this coloration that sits in the upper mid so you know going back to brian setzer thing again here but because he was using a, an all maple gretch and he was using filter trons they all have that rising upper mids bump going into that mm -hmm. blonde amplifier which when you crank it up and it's done right, it's tubes are right on it, it starts breaking up in the upper mids, especially with the presence. People think that that presence control on a blonde is a like an upper, well, a presence, you know, this upper level treble, but it's actually uh, part of the power section. And as it's turned up, uh, the negative feedback's reduced in the amplifier. So the amplifier's headroom comes down, it's touch dynamics um, jump up, and that's when you can start making it start you can push it and you can overdrive it um it has to be really loud if it's just a guitar going in you'll get there you know you think about um i forget where the one of the recordings from the who are but pete townsend was using his uh his orange gretch nashville going into blonde um and that's another online argument it was a bandmaster and uh, there's pictures of the blonde baseman, you know, on his calves and stuff. But that sound is an amazing sound. Um, but that was that wasn't what Setzer was doing. And he was obviously not trying to create crazy overdrive. He wanted it dirty, though. He's always, you know, it's his thing was neo rockabilly. It was never regular rockabilly. Those guys, you know, they never they they obviously hung on to their their inspirations, but 
in the eighties, they were going after flock of seagull hairdos, you know, and their clothes, their clothes were crazy. And they, you know, so they were grabbing elements of the past and pulling it in. So I don't know if, you know, if he one day just found this crazy old space echo and thought, well, I can't really afford an echoplex or an echoplex. They, they fall apart. I'm going to get this space echo. And, you know, it just worked for him, but he found by taking a really long guitar cable, it changed the impedance of the instrument going into that, that space echo and it brought impedance matching. And so when he cranked up the preamp on that thing, and that's where the secret uh, in that RE301 is, is it's preamp. It's not the tape echo at all. Has nothing to do. I mean, I guess, you know, want to be, you want to argue about it. The, the set, the tape saturates when it's pushed a bit by the preamp, but um, it was that preamp that brought, made the pickups, the filtertrons hear his fingers better kind of stethoscope like so that when he would move from flat picking into the, the Travis finger picking, um, it stayed the same. The, 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 the tw- dynamics. The, yeah. The twang, the dynamics and the bite. Um, cause mm-hmm. the guy, the guy plays with his volume knob, you know, to go from clean to dirty and he's not afraid to play dirty either, you know? So that's, that ended up being the thing. And so once I found that, um, I, I went to this, uh, I was this guy that was working on some amp stuff for me. Um, I said, could you, you know, reverse engineer the preamp in this big, you know, thing, this thing is huge. And I kind of see, you know, where it's at, you know, could you help me out? And he just drew up a really quick, a basic diagram. I had never even looked at schematics before. I never even thought about it. Um, Mm -hmm. but he drew up a basic schematic and he said, well, he goes, this is very basic and I don't know why, you know, anyone would, would want it, but here, you know, here's, here's, (laughs) here's how it is. And, and so, um, you know, jumping back, I had gone to another guy who said he was going to help me, you know, build the preamp to that space echo. And, uh, he took forever, kept taking money from me and it was a really complex circuit um, he's a, he was a licensed, you know, fender repairman and stuff. So he, he knew what he was doing, but I don't think he really got what I was going for with that space echo. So what I was able to do was take this giant octopus of a circuit that he had, and then look at this, you know, the basics, uh, schematic that this, this old dude that worked for Raytheon had made for me. And mm-hmm. I went at with my soldering iron and I, you know, I put it together and somewhere there's still, a, it's a, this is so old, but it was a MySpace. Um, I had the circuit board just laying on the amp and I started playing through it and just kind of started yelling, oh my gosh, you know, kind of like a Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> it's working. And I like that. I like that Star Wars episode. It's working. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like Jar Jar, but. Love that. But uh, anyway, um, the, <laughs> it was when it started working, you know, my wife comes in, you know, are you okay? What's going on? And it's just like, look, I found it. You know, the mad scientists, I, fi- I finally figured this out. And so she's like, well, let me film you, you know, let's get, and we had some horrible looking little, like one megapixel video <laughs> camera thing. And mm-hmm. she filmed it, me explaining it. And um, I put it on MySpace. 
And a friend, another friend who knew I was kind of in the down and out financially at that point, uh, Gary Hoover. I should mention Nick Larson was a guy who gave me the Space Echo. I, that man, I'm going to get his name tattooed on my arm because his heart was, was, I owe everything to him, really. Well, I owe a lot to him. Um, but uh, another player in that was this guy, Gary Hoover. And he goes, hey, man, let me put that on the Gretsch for him. He goes, let's just, he goes, I bet you people would buy it. And so I, you know, I said, yeah, sure, Gary, it's over on MySpace. And I had consequently posted it over to the uh, Hoodoo Voodoo Lounge, the sets are fan forum to let the other guys know the ones that we've been wrestling around with this. And, and immediately they're like, dude, we want one. And I go, well, you kind of have to have a blonde amplifier, you know, the, the blonde basement 6G6B. And you got to have filtertrons. Because it doesn't really sound the same, like with my Strat and my Tele, it just kind of sounds fat. Doesn't it's like a fat boost? It's not sounding like the Setzer thing. And so, I got twenty guys going, build this for us, man, make this. And so Gary then got back to me. He goes, "You got to get over to the Gretsch Farm." He goes, "There's people they want this." He goes, "You need to go get yourself a blog, and you can go to this thing called PayPal." <laughs> and He's like, I'm like, well, I got a basic PayPal account. He goes, yeah, but you can make a, make a little cart button and you'll make this blog and just let's put the video on there and explain a little bit about it and put that on there and see if people buy it. And I was thinking, well, I don't know what, you know, what I charge for it. And, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, you used to charge this amount of money for your labor when you were fixing people's pedals and stuff. And I came up with a price, you know, I think the first time I, the first one, um, like 159 bucks or something. Um, mm -hmm. but like in a few minutes I had 20 orders and 30 orders and, um, I actually broke down a little. I was just like, I was in full panic because it's like, uh, what do I put the circuit in? You know, I can't, it's like, I, can't put it in an old pedal box. What do I do with it? Cause I, you know, I had had this little board flopping around. It was not in a box. I hadn't, you know, and, and this was, you yeah, know, just on perf board or whatever. Yeah. You, I mean, you think it was actually in a radio shack. I'd say like the first thousand, uh, brain seltzers as they were originally called, I had to change the name because, uh, once Setzer's <laughs> attorneys saw it, they started making stipulations and, I had a, a lawyer friend tell me I just needed to change the name then and there as painful as it was, which is still mm -hmm. haunting me to, to this day because people will see old posts and they're like, no, I don't want a dino brain. I want the brain seltzer. And it's like, it's the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's right. It's just, like it's, it's improved. It's quieter, you know, but it's the exact same thing. I just, you know, and then I have to tell them the whole story. Um, but anyway, you know, so, I didn't know what to do. And you know, as far as a business model, I had had a business in the eighties. I had had a, I had, I had an, I bought an old man sign company, acrylic fabrication and sign company. And, uh, I, I did not do well with that business. It was like three and a half years. And I ended up finally chapter 11, you know, debt refi, um, because it just, everything went bad real fast over time and theft and stuff like that. But, um, coming back to this, yeah. Oh, that microphone's picking up other noises in the house. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, coming back to this pedal, it's like, what a, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I mean, if you think back in 08, there were, there were, uh, 
obviously pedal builders that were doing quite well. And um, Mike Fuller of Full Tone, I kind of was a major fanboy of his stuff. Um, I'm still a major fanboy of of what he builds um, because he was a musician first and the quality of his products were, you know, stage ready and they could take, you know, they could take a punishing while others at that point back then, a lot of them fell apart, but it was, um, it was full tone and it was Barber, Dave Barber. And I still have mm-hmm. my Barber burn unit to this day. I think it's one of the, the greatest tube screamers ever made, especially if you start tweaking the EQ inside the box. Um, you run that thing, you stack that thing up with my other favorite uh, light overdrive, my Tim pedal. Um, Paul Cochran, you know, so those, those guys, those guys were, were my heroes. Um, I had one of the first, like when Paul first started, he was just passing around a, a raw box, you know, with, uh, I think it was brother lettering on it. And that was just being passed through on an, from an internet community. And we were trying it out and it's like, I had to have one of those. And, um, you know, if you play a semi hollow or hollow body, uh, guitar, that Tim pedal, is an amazing thing to to stack you know with other preamps and stuff like that and like yeah that's a great it's a great pedal yeah it really is and people are like yeah no shit we already know that but it's just (laughs) there are there are these pedals that i that have not really changed on my board and you know all these years because they were done right and they were they were built well and they were built from the standpoint of a performing musician so on that i thought well if I'm going to make a pedal business happen, then I have to have the same standard of build that these guys the did. The quality has to be there. Yeah. Right. And, but I don't know what marketing concept to use. Um, and, you know, the the kitchen table do-it-yourselfer guys, that, that didn't exist back then, or it, it was very small at that point. Um but so, so what I use as a business model is I know how to run a band, you know, I, I've been, you know, a band leader with my rock bands for a million years. I know ex- exactly how to promote my band. So this pedal, this brain seltzer, I'm now his manager and he's my rock band. And that was my business model, you know, and that's a good way to look at it in some ways. Yeah. yeah well, that's especially at the time, it, especially for marketing. I mean, obviously things are a lot different now. Um, and, uh, I, I, I want to call, I want to call Jimmy Bauer <laughs> is, uh, I want to say he's my business manager now. He doesn't know this, but, uh, when he starts, <laughs> when he starts charging me <laughs> for ideas, <laughs> it could turn into that. He doesn't know that that's his new vocation coming up in life, but yeah. um, well, he'll find out here in a week or so in this. Drops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. A big shout out to Jim, by the way. Yes. He's a mutual buddy of ours, and uh, he's uh, very active in the community and has been a big supporter of, I know, you for a long time and and me also since day one. So big shout out to Jim. Uh, love that dude. He's a great guy. Yeah. And it, he's got he's got a lot of ideas. You know, I I'm an old dude, man. I'm compared to you guys. I mean, I don't like hanging around with anyone my age. <laughs> but you know, and I, I play with music. Get off my lawn. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the get off my line kind of exists in some ways. But uh, 
can't help that. That just happens to you as you get older. But in general, you yeah, know, I've had it since I was 17. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you've got an old man's soul, huh? I'm an old person in, in, inside in a lot of ways. I really am. Well, you know what? It's, it's actually, that's a good thing because then you won't be so jaded because when you get to my age, you know, you've got all these get off my lawn guys, but they're just jaded about everything. And it just shuts your mind down to being open to new things. And that's one of the things it's like, I've always fought to keep my mind. I, you know, maybe I'm just afraid of, of getting old and, and being old. Um, I, uh, like, uh, am I allowed to say Ryan Burke's name? Is that, are you allowed to say that on this? No, no, okay. no. We don't talk about that guy ever, right. ever. So I, he's from that other, we should have other a different, podcast. we should have a different name for him when I, if I refer to him. But, uh, <laughs> Brian, how about, I don't know. Brian Rourke. Brian Rourke. All right. Of this, well, the 50, 50 cycle yes. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had posted something over there, and the, these guys like he I mean, he was just fooling with me. But another guy seemed to take what I said too seriously, and I came back from that just sitting there, kind of like a deer in the headlights. And I went to my son, who's twenty one. I go, I am in the weirdest place in my life right now, Dane. Dane Dane's the gorilla. Um, okay. Yeah, for the nocturne brain stuff. But um, I went to him. I go right. I'm on these forums with musicians that are like my age and older and they don't get my hammer or they just don't get stuff like, you know, old guys pissing about. It's like, why don't these younger people speak with words, all these stupid meme things, you know? And, <laughs> and so, you know, I've got the Dave Chappelle <laughs> that's worn, yeah. that's worn <laughs> out, but you know, I'm throwing that stuff down and that's just pissing them off. And they don't get what's going on while I'm dying laughing, entertaining myself at their demise. But then, you know, going back to to Brian Works' 50-cycle Facebook (laughs) thing, he, uh, you know, the the comment I made was like, I I ended up posting, and this is an old man thing, I know it, but it's like I found this old – Warner Brothers cartoon with Foghorn Leghorn and it's like it's a joke mm-hmm. son and it's just like he just puts <laughs> if it something about it's if it's if it's not seen as a joke then it's probably broke you know and it's just like okay for one second for one second I was like stabbed in the heart and I'm just like assholes <laughs> but it was it was just this weird place of it's like man I don't I don't fit in anywhere. I'm too I'm too old to be with, you know, your generation and I'm too young with this other generation. How am I going to how do I survive in this business? This business world um that's 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 hit really in the last year. And uh, that's why this all comes back to Jimmy Bauer because he's been uh he's been a catalyst, you know. He started out as a as a customer um, and I think when we first started corresponding, I think he was still, uh, a GI Joe, um, uh, fighting cause it, Oh really? Yeah. Cause back in the day, yeah, cause I, his, his original email address was, well, I can't say it, but it was something, something Iraq. I think it's, I think it's still the same. Yeah. I know. I I'm guess I never sure. look, I just click Jim and it pops up, but <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the dialogue started back then, but just over time, 
um, he's kind of been that catalyst for me. You know, he's, he's never been so mean, like, dude, you're so old. You need to stop being this way, bro. You know, it's that thing hasn't happened, but he's just presented things to me. And it's like, you're good, your communications and the way your, your approaches and why don't you try this? Or what do you think about this? So I don't know. I'm thinking maybe other pedal builders that might be, you know, in their forties and up, they might need to, they might need to take Jim on and uh, he's going to have to have uh, this whole new business. And <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember what, how uh, Keely one time I was talking to Rob about something. How old's he? I can't remember. <laughs> is he like, is he old? I'm fit. I just turned 53. I'm so damn old. But uh, was he right about wow, that? Wow, you're looking pretty good. <laughs> well, I try to, I try to eat healthy, green, except when I go hang out at Tiki Bar. Green... <laughs> <laughs> that green juice stuff you drink mm. um, oh yeah rob i don't know how old he is but he's i think he's he's a he's in that ballpark somewhere i he might be a little <laughs> a little bit a little bit i don't know actually i really don't know how old he is he's probably in that neighborhood though maybe a little younger i'm not sure um but he said something about i can't remember what company we were talking about and he's like i don't have an army of hipsters to market that way. <laughs> i was like well maybe maybe you need to get an army of hipsters yeah, like yeah. who knows like i was so uh, jealous at the nam show when i go around i won't say who the booth was but i go there and there's like keyboardists running through the pedals and they got a a barista making coffee and i was just hey you everyone already knows who it is <laughs> as soon as you said that Talking about EQD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was just like, they're the ones, man, they're these the coffee suckers, ones. they've got it, you know? Because uh, I've, 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 I've been going to the NAMM show since the 80s. Um, I used to get in. Um, my, I had a friend who worked in purchasing for Yamaha. And when I had the sign company, I used to make the signs down in Buena Park for Yamaha and their name badges and stuff. And he would give me a badge. And that was back when you could just, you know, put on Hirohito Endo or something and walk straight in the door. They didn't care, mm -hmm. but I've been dreaming about, you know, even back then when I didn't have anything to sell or didn't know that I wanted to sell anything, I just like, man, it'd be so cool to, to have a booth here at NAM and, and just really be in this industry. And I, I've always been in love with that more than being the best guitarist, you know, the best singer. And at, at this point it's too late, mm -hmm. I'm too old, but, um, it's not too old for the, not too old for the NAM show yet. Even though that that seemed no, that, no. that came up as a debate with uh, Gibson, you know, it's like, is I I don't was it on your uh, I think you one of the guys on on your forum asked that he's like, well, is the Nam show really relevant anymore? You know. Well, and I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on that, and I talked to a lot of guys about that very topic, and and I have a a you know maybe a weird way of looking at it. Like, first of all, Gibson. Gibson has done a lot of things wrong lately, but the main thing is they don't really need to go to Nam. No, right? They they just don't. They don't if they if if they don't want to if they don't want to they don't really need to. I mean, even uh, some of the buddy smaller Behringer's not doing it anymore either. Yeah, at least they said they weren't after last year. They don't need to. Yeah, a lot of com a lot um, of companies same... are gone. Um, it seemed like uh, a great culling took place in uh, around two thousand eight when the economy started. You know, it's well, and it has to do with the internet too. There's guys I know that their main focus is uh, selling direct, you know, uh, online. And yeah, if that's your main focus, you don't really need to do, to have a NAM booth either. Like, 
the the only reason to go is if you're trying to like extend your network and uh and you know bring on dealers and distributors then yeah you need to do nam but if that's not your goal there's there's really no reason to sp- there's better ways to spend ten thousand dollars you know what i mean so, yeah and well um, and it's like it's, it sounds like a criticism and there's plenty of criticisms for gibson now but um you know i just i finally was able to afford i, don't know, I got a steal on a guitar i've wanted forever um uh gibson eh bh es 295 you know the scotty moore mm, gold top beautiful and it's got a lot of problems and it's a you know it's a 1990s model but um i i'm not a big never have been a, a big fan of gibson but there are a couple models you know of instruments that i really love and have wanted and anyway all to say is at the nam show um, for all those years I used to go before I had a business or was even thinking about that, um, I was basically, you know, the uh, band whore looked like, who can I network with to give my my demo tape to, you know, and I had my <laughs> satchel with all my stuff. But, you know, you come away from those shows back then and it's like, oh, man, you know, I got this, this merch at this place and it was really inviting and I really love this, but I never thought that a Gibson. And, you know, they're just for anyone that has gone to those that trade show, it's like you got to wait in line and then you can only go in at a certain time. And it was just very not. It was just not a fun experience, you know, Um, and I know in the last year they had come, they changed everything up and they made it more open. And, you know, people, people, there was headphones for you to try everything, but not the same thing, you know. And uh, yeah. to see the contrast of, say, uh, JHS pedals, you know, where they're down on the floor, the, the bottom floor, which is my favorite. Um, I was oh, yeah. I was very I'm jealous of that. Very jealous of that. Because, again, I still I'm not in a place to to have a booth. And I don't, you know, being a being that I sell online directly, I've questioned, you know, would it really help your business? If you did have a booth at NAM, other than oh man, it would be so fun because you know I my dream is to like to to just it's probably for my own ego maybe and because I've had so much fun in all these years being downstairs and networking and meeting new people and trying things that aren't you know up in the corporate world, um, but I just thought you know places uh, or or companies like Gibson they never I don't think they ever really got it they're they're following an old model um but they're still like I w- yep. you know Prisma guitars had I had I not gone and actually held one and looked at it um online gave me a great idea of it but I had no idea I just being you know being a skateboarder most of my life until recently um you know I just I was in love with the idea, but I still, if I was a buyer of music store or whatever, it's like, you, I feel like you still need that, but it's very, it's very open. And maybe it's because they're, you know, there's just cottage industries that happen to be able to split a booth or whatever that they're there. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a different thing. It's like, what do you need? Do you need to go there? It, it, it all depends. I always yeah. say that like, there's there's some guys that I do some work for and that there's like it do, that's not our focus it makes no sense like it's I always say this it's like because it costs you know it costs a lot of money yeah 
Like, even <laughs> if you do it cheap, it costs a lot of money. I'm like, do you, could you spend, you know, the six, eight, ten thousand dollars, whatever it costs? You know, it varies depending on whether they got travel or, you know what I mean? Um, I'm like, could you spend that more effectively if you want to grow your business? Mm-hmm. Uh, in other places, like what would happen if you spent, you know, got with somebody and, you know, spent $6,000 on Facebook ads? Well, if you're selling direct, it'd probably be a lot better ROI. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But, you know, there's, um, there's that element of it's, it's so fun, you know, downstairs. It is so fun. It's like, man, I wish you just could have a corner and I would have, I'd bring my, I just bring my living room. I bring my leopard couches. I bring my tiki bar. And then we would make a 12 foot tiki, <laughs> you know, with that would be sweet. With my amps, <laughs> my amps and all that stuff there and kind of borrow from the the JHS thing. I mean, they're all using headphones, but um, and I'm starting to see less of these, but all the probably because it's expensive. But we're how many years have you gone to now? I've actually only been going the last couple of years. This is going to be my third year. Were you were were you going there when uh, sixty five amps had that like huge sound booth? You would go in and they had all their amps in there. I don't remember seeing it, but I remember hearing about it. I'm not sure if they still have it. Yeah. Well, see, that way. see that that was a really cool thing. And then kind of uh, when Aspen Pittman had the Groove Tubes um, booth. Um, you could go in there and there was like a little couch and the amps were in there and it wasn't just you trying something out. Other people got, were in there and they could listen. And it was like this interaction, this little communal thing like, Oh, Hey, what if, can I turn this? You know? And there was this group interaction. That's like, to me, that's, it would just be so fun to have that at the NAM show or to be involved with maybe a group of people that had something like that. But yeah, you just, Mm -hmm. you got to have the money. And I don't, yep. you know, I work out of, <laughs> uh, we just sold our house in Riverside, um, just to get out of the market. And my son's going to school here in San Diego. So maybe it's a, uh, that I'm half Hispanic, but we followed him down here. <laughs> to, so <laughs> I'm in La Mesa, but you know, I'm basically my garage is my shop and I can't, there's I can't uh, have a separate shop at this point. So I don't know that uh, a NAM show type of thing would help. But again, uh, younger guys like you thats not have a better perspective oh. of, of, a, of a new or, or a, a growing market. Because one of the things I, di- I think I've done wrong that I, that I didn't do purposefully, but I kind of uh, painted myself into a corner of like a rockabilly niche, you know, because right. I had a 55 Buick and I have a Pompadour and I love, you know, mid-century modern atomic era, all that stuff that just kind of came out mm-hmm. through what I did. And um, that's not necessarily what I expected to happen or I don't even know if I process it, you know, much until recently. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing because to, to be perfectly honest, there's not a lot of guys competing in that space granted it's kind of a niche of of a niche but like what i'm starting to see with your stuff and is when some of like i'm a super nerd and a pedal collector Mm. and uh you know i i just i really geek out on pedals and preach to the choir when (laughs) (laughs) 
and uh and and you know there's a lot of guys kind of in my age that are kind of wired similarly but they're uh, less sick and addicted than I am so that's good for them um but my what I'm getting at is like I've got to play some of your stuff lately Jim sent some up to me to try I got to play the mystery brain here last weekend um mm-hmm. oh cool and 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 I really really like I'm like oh this this is marketed as this but I'm using it like this and it sounds really good in different applications so like a i was playing the mystery brain and just kind of focusing on the preamp because that's what jim was like you got to listen to this preamp and pay attention to what it does Mm -hmm. and sticking it you know after various drive pedals was having this really great uh it was just like for most of my drive pedals not all of them but most of them i was like that's just more better like yeah, uh, that's funny. That that's think, so funny that, that you say that and that that actual f- phrase because uh, back in two thousand and eight, that's that's what these guys were saying because they didn't they didn't play Gretsch's either, and I think some of them, you know, they they were fans of rockabilly, but they were just like, um, it's when you turn it off that you realize it. That's what make you know. That's what sounds good, and I sound like sound like I'm hyping my own stuff, but you know, I. I perform live. I'm I'm a live player, and it's just like there are certain pedals that you turn them off, and you just aren't inspired the same way. You don't play the same way, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and and you know, ultimately, that was the thing with with Brian Setzer. It wasn't that oh man, now I have Brian Setzer's sound. I'm I'm complete. It was no, now I have this little tone tool. It makes sense. Oh my gosh, you know, it's like uh, take a. Oh, makes me sound really old, but you know, take take Ingve Ing Ing. What's his name? Ingve Malstein. Malstein. Ingve. Yep. Ingve. Yep. And uh, it's like he has this raging amplifier, but he was using the 250 pre to push mm-hmm. the dynamics, the uh, harmonics that he needed for his wacky scoop scallops, you know, fretboard strat. Um, mm-hmm. Joe Satriani, I love 250s. you know, Ugh, I love them. Yeah, and, and I I chase that for a bit because um, you know, I I make a a version of it called the Fez. Um, I know the Fez. Yeah, and it's it's just a weird thing because I've always had a a 250, but I had plugged one into my reverb tank and I hadn't set it up the way I normally would. The years past when I was you know running that a strat into a mesa boogie <laughs> with a big muff and stuff mm-hmm. but um yeah oh yeah but the uh the way that it made the the reverb start jumping back at me i was like oh man i'm on to something here and you know so we have that but that's been that's been done a lot um and so yeah i kind of i kind of have a at this at this moment in time i've had this niche but it's been younger players that have finally pushed me to, it's like, well, why don't you make the echo part of the space echo? And it's like, I can't do that, man. Just too old. Brain doesn't work. Can't figure it out. I have to go back to college. I'll stop. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, but that's how I was, that's how I was thinking, but I was thinking wrong because, um, part of my, as I created, I guess, kind of a business motto. Um, one of the things I wanted to do was, um, include other small American companies, you know, and that's how my amplifiers, 
I've always done the amplifiers. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, like, I talked a bit about Mercury Magnetics. They're part of the key. Mm -hmm. And my cab builder and my chassis builder, you know, the handles that are, you know, it's an upgrade on the handles. But a guy named Matt Cadena makes just amazing guitar straps. And um, kind of like for weirdos like me that have a, a boot fetish, <laughs> I have this this Red Wing <laughs> boot fetish. I know. You love your Red Wings. I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> but I only pay about one-third the price of what <laughs> the other guys would ever pay for those things. But uh, anyway, so, you know, he is making these chrome axle whatever uh, horse hide straps and stuff. So he's in on it, making handles for stuff and – Anyway, my, my point with this is when I couldn't go any further, again, this is where Mr. Jimmy Bauer kind of started rattling things around in my head. It's like, well, why don't you try to find other pedal builders? And it was, um, I remember Brian Wampler um, had made some comment on, uh, on a uh, show about, loving to get up in the morning and go and design stuff. And, and I don't know if he said this mm -hmm. in so many words, but he's like, well, I don't, I don't build the pedals anymore for production. Um, I've got someone else doing that and they even ship them. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what? <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. the tedious work yeah, kills yeah. me. It kills me. It just sucks my life. I'm, I'm an outgoing person. I need to be with people and with this business here sitting at a desk, you know, if it's not marketing online uh, and customer support, you're back out there and you're, you know, from in my case, painting, paint booth, uh, soldering, drilling, all that stuff. And it's just like, I, mm -hmm. that's not where I shine. That's not where I, that's, that's not, you know, there's certain things that, that we're good at and that we do better. And it's like, if I want to grow I really like to be like right now. I'm I'm grateful that you let me come and burn your ear all this time on this podcast. I'm enjoying yeah. it, so it's totally fun. this stuff's fun. Yeah, but soldering, mm -hmm. soldering, you know, a stomp switch with a bunch of wires that all start blurring and looking the same, you know, hour after hour. That this just kills you. But there, I, you know, when but there's some people that they like, love it. That's, yeah, that's where. They love yeah. it. And, 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 I, and that's who you, I found two guys. I found two different guys and I was really afraid of, of doing this. You know, I was like, Oh no, my secrets are going to be let out or whatever. And it was just, it was that proverbial. I always say this, the, uh, the man under the river at the bottom of the river, holding onto the rock because he's afraid to let go. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't know mm -hmm. he's while well, he's drowning. And so that's kind of been the situation with me. It's like, well, you can let go of that rock and just let the current carry you and see where it takes you. And where it's taken me mm -hmm. is um, like I have a pedal, a junior barnyard pedal. It's this hot preamp that's meant to um, emulate the sound of an old octal tube amp. Um, you know, before the early tweed amplifiers, they actually had octal tubes. They weren't 12 AX7s. You know, if you look at late 40s uh, Fender Pros and stuff like that, they, mm -hmm. what do they use? 6SJ7s or whatever. But there's a sound, there's a beauty to when those things uh, start saturating. And I don't mean, you know, your your cargo shorts and Tiva sandals and tie-dye shirt, ponytail with an, 
diamond your your blues band guy you know sound (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking about textures you know and stuff like that because that's really what i've been after is is dynamics and textures and there's a lot of there's a um, tons of builders that are going after the the ambient effects and you know all that sort of stuff and that's not my forte you know so you know going back to this junior barnyard thing um I just I named it after Junior Bernard, who mm-hmm. was uh, he was a rock star, <laughs> and the Texas Playboys. He was there. He was there for a very short time. Um, he used to piss off Bob Wills because he cranked up the amps. He played them really dirty, um, and no one had been doing that so far. So you know, and that octal tube sound that he got as he laid into his riffs is a a really unique sound again it's like i do not play in a texas swing band (laughs) i do not play in a rockabilly (laughs) band you know for for even though it's praise and worship we play alt rock we play cow punk we play neograss you know there's this whole mix pop the whole bit gotta play it all and so Mm -hmm. you know but having to do that and and uh there's a you know i'm sure 90 percent of the worship guys would just go half of these songs are killing us it's just stinking u2 you know g d e minor <laughs> c forever with you know trailing delays and stuff and um, i'm not knocking it you know i i still love to play that it's fun it sounds beautiful my guitars but um I was just going after some kind of tool that would work. And obviously like with my mystery brain, um, I have the final, you know, I got that, that tape emulator attached to it. And that happened by letting go of that, like I said, proverbial rock and going down the stream because the guy I'm working with, we got together and, you know, a lot younger than me, but the thing we had in common is he plays a praise and worship team and he's got kids to take care of and which, you know, it's like he's working his butt off doing that and going to school. Um, but he also had an Echoplex and he has a space echo, the RE301. And, um, he, he, he got what I was doing. He got what I was going after, you know, cause when I was talking about Brian Setzer, he's like, what, who? Yeah. I'm like, you remember the guy from the street cats? And it'd be like, uh, yeah, sort (laughs) of. My dad had records, but, yeah, it it ended up where we were able to work together, and and uh, he could handle me torturing him because again, I don't I don't have any formal background, but he'd send me something and send me a bunch of Greek, and I would take it apart and go, now how about this, you know? And and the final the mm-hmm. final product, um, you look at it, and it it has a nod towards uh, the original. You know, and, and that's obviously it's like the preamp in it is going after the RE three hundred one. And if you want to be really snobby, I'll I'll make one for you with um I I it's taken me years to collect the original <clears throat> Toshiba chip, um, but I have got a limited supply, and I believe I have more than anyone in the world. I know I, I want to say that so that if anyone challenges me, then I can. I can know that I'm not <laughs> one, but those, and then you can try to buy it. Yes. From them. Yes. But it, um, <laughs> it's those things disappeared a long time ago. The early, uh, what is it? I'm having a brain fart. The DS one. 
has um has that Toshiba chip in it, and then it got replaced with a regular op amp chip, which is a little mm -hmm. bit different, little tiny bit different. You know, if you're sitting in your room with your knees crossed under you, staring at the amp, you're like, oh, I I hear that vintage mojo and the the vintage hiss. But anyway, <laughs> I've, if you want your mystery brain with that chip, I can give it to you. You know, um, I use I prefer to use the Burr Brown again because my pedal is based on a guy playing in a band with a loud drummer, my youngest son, <laughs> even though he's got a plexi gobo mm -hmm. around him, you know, my other son's on upright bass, pounding my head with a Mesa rig. Um, my wife's behind me on accordion. I got a keyboard player, um, you know, and I got a monitor mix <clears throat> and along with my, mm -hmm. with my amp. And it's like, you don't want any extraneous noises because they end up just increasing as they go down the chain. So, you know, that mystery brain is designed for a performing musician and someone that has that, you know, when they get up there and the sound man's got the mic on his cab, it's like, what's that hiss? You know, what's, you know, this, and you want to minimize all that stuff. So where it's at, I've got, it's as hi-fi as I can get it as reliable as I can get it and as close to that sound as I can get it, you know, because every, everything mm -hmm. that I've built comes from the actual product, even like my uh, moonshine amp, which is based off that old forties octal tube Gibson amp, the H one E five. There's someone that shall go nameless, but they started copying all the stuff that I was researching online about as I was engaged on, uh, amp forums and they went out and tried to release their own and they've been su successful with it but it was really funny because he was touting that amplifier as an actual eh-185 when all he had was a schematic whereas i had three original amplifiers you know that i was building this off of so um and that's a, another crazy argument but when it comes to the space echo you know i have been a weirdo uh, stalker on Brian Setzer's sound forever, you know, <laughs> this cute little blonde in the eighties handed me in high school, a Brian Se or a stray cats album and a blasters album and said, I know your band plays all this Chuck Berry and Elvis and Johnny cashed up. It's like, but you need to listen to these guys, you know? And the second, the mm -hmm. second I heard the sound of that guitar, you know, it was so different than all the music my dad had turned me on to and had taught me, he was the one who taught me to play. Um, it was so different that, you know, I've been following that guy forever and his stuff. But ultimately, um, I don't play any music like that. And I don't, I think I only can play like two Brian Setzer songs. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, it's my music. That's how you test everything. Yeah, out, right? yeah. And it's like one of the things that's really interesting about the Mystery Brain that it, it came out as a byproduct is we wanted to have where you could defeat the modulation because I have an actual photo cell modulation that pedal is mostly analog um you know we got mm -hmm. the little the little chip in there for the echo but you know there's an actual separate circuit for the for the modulation you can turn it on and off but having that photo cell and its own op amp in there um lets you turn that into much more than just a space echo you know and all the rockabilly guys that buy my stuff they're like I don't even know what to do with that thing, you know, and they, they just leave it off and that's fine. You know, 
And it's like, well, you can leave it off, but go listen to uh, old Cliff Gallup recordings post uh, Gene Vincent. Um, you'll hear a slapback on old uh, Gene Vincent and the Blue Cap albums, but that was done post recording that was in the studio. Sam Phillips putting a slapback. Um, the the Strymon, uh, what's it called? Real, whatever that pedal is, after the El Capistan. I shut down after the El Capistan, which I love and I have, but... Um, Cliff, the deco. Yeah, that one, that one. Um, That's my favorite, my favorite and only Strymon. Really? I yeah. I, it's, it's, it's a <laughs> yeah. really fun thing, but it's, and, and if you've been in, if you're a guy that records in the studio, you can see the brilliance in that, in that whole pedals creation. But anyway, going to, to Cliff Gallup after he, he was, he had children. So he had to quit the blue caps and went on to work, but he was still playing all the time and gigging and the recordings, you can hear his echoplex, but you can hear that tape, the modulation in it all over the place, you know? So it's like these really real, real rockabilly guys. They're not really rockabilly cause they're not, they're not getting, you know, these early things. And even like Scotty Moore with, uh, with a Ray Butts, oh, yeah. you know, amplifier with that built-in tape thing. There was Warble. There's a very quick slapback, but it's there. So anyway, that's why I put that that analog modulation in there. But I ended up because I'm a huge fan of deluxe memory mat pedals. And mm-hmm. um I've I've collected them, you know, most all of them. I've had at some point and I've modified many of them. Um, but I found that you can use that modulation with the longer slapbacks. And it's like, man, that is one of the best <laughs> deluxe memory mans. You know, I actually sold off my last memory man. Once I, I found that I could get a really cool deluxe memory man sound out of this mystery brain. So yeah, there's a train on there. And my, my friend, uh, another guy who's, who's been, uh, a helpmate from the beginning. Uh, he's a lowbrow artist, Vince Ray, um, if the name's not familiar, all you have to do is start looking at albums and that man's done a huge, has a huge catalog of, of, uh, album art, you know, for rock musicians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, he, and he actually owns production number one of the brain seltzer. Um, cause he had seen one of the first, oh, nice. yeah, he'd seen one of the first videos where my oldest son at the time, um, he wanted to be in my, my video and I'm like, I can't have you on YouTube. I don't want your face seen. And that was long before, you know, the, uh, the Illuminati took over our phones, <laughs> the NSA, <whatever>. right. <laughs> facial recognition. <laughs> uh, but you know, so I said, well, you can be in the video, but I don't want your face shown. So he ended up going and getting my gorilla outfit and putting it on. And while I was filming, went and sat behind me. And it's like, I still crack up to this day when he's got that costume on. And my younger son, he kind of wanted to do that, but he's not a girl. He can't do the gorilla. It doesn't work, you know, but the older boy. Okay. That makes, that was actually something I wanted to get into because I was always, I wasn't there from the beginning. Uh, Right. So I was was like, what's with the gorilla? Now this all makes a lot more sense. I was like, that's totally where the, what is this? That's totally where the gorilla. And then like the gorilla with a pompadour and all that. And, and my hashtag, which kind of came from the bones brigade because they had where's animal chin. So that's like one of the things for me is like, I'm making my where's animal chin. It's r- the r- rubber gorilla army. So we even have t-shirts now, mm-hmm. that. but that all was born out of that silly thing where he showed up and he was on there. And what happened is all of a sudden I started getting, you know, this, these are really horrible 
quality videos now, but everyone wanted to see the gorilla. It's like they didn't care about my stupid pedal, <laughs> the brain seltzer. They want to see more of the gorilla. And uh, it turned out to be, it's like we had the gorilla in there for a long time. And I think some of the, well, I can't even say more recent because he hasn't done the gorilla for a long time now, but um, you could tell it was played out, you know, it just, it had come to its end. Right. But what came of that was Vince Ray had, had seen that and thought it was amazing. And he asked me if I was interested, you know, in, in some artwork. And I said, well, um, cause he loved the gorilla so much. And I go, could, what about a gorilla with a pompadour, you know? And he came up with that thing right away. And, you know, and then like the atomic brain, all my artwork, all that stuff is for the most part is, um, is Vince Ray. Ironically, one of the pedals that, uh, I was working on that never saw production. It was called the, I'm and it still may come out. It's still sitting there and it, it can go a different way, but I had the Detroit casket and that's the mystery brain came out of the Detroit casket. And, uh, with that pedal, what it was is I'm like, well, I'm not, uh, keen enough to make an echo. So I'm going to make an active effects loop in this pedal. So you can put your, favorite delay pedal, which at the time, and I still have on my board is a boss DM three is my ultimate, you know, analog slapback go-to pedal. Um, especially with semi hollow bodies and hollow bodies. I love that, that little box, but, um, that's what I was, I was like, well, I can plug this in now and I can have this and run my Strymon El Cavistan into it. And anyway, mm -hmm. so it ended up being that the artwork, I had gone to one of the guys because my early pedals and even to this date, some of my handmade pedals um, or hand painted pedals, I should say, is I use a very heavy duty vinyl sticker, you know, graphics for lack of better mm -hmm. words. Um, they're solvent resistant. And there's a guy that um, I started working with who has a sign company back east he's been making these things for me and very, very talented artist too. And so he's really helped me, you know, come up with a design and stuff, even to when, um, my first pedals were all hand, uh, pinstriped when I had the original American made boxes, they're like real heavy boxes with a slant. Um, that guy, that guy mm -hmm. went out of business and it broke my heart. Cause then I had to start using, you know, all the boxes we all have to use now, but those boxes, I would drill them myself. I would, you know, rough up the metal. I would uh, prime them and sand and then shoot the coat. And I had, I'd teach myself how to shoot uh, metal flake and all that. Cause the guy that was originally doing these, um, he was doing them in trade for guitar lessons from me. He would shoot them. He was a car, custom car painter. He'd shoot the boxes mm -hmm. and the clear logos that I originally had were made by this old man who ended up, he, I've, I've, it's like the logo I had found was from the Stardust Hotel in Vegas. And um, I had kind of squished everything together to come up with that. So, so the, that jaggedy logo that I have on, on, my, on several of my pedals um, is from mm -hmm. the font from the Stardust Hotel. And ironically, I found some guy that was, was selling illegal Fender <laughs> water decals. At one oh, point. geez. <laughs> and... Uh, I, I sent my stuff to him and he said he could make the water decals for me. And he actually was the sound man at the Stardust Hotel before they demolished it. So, you know, I, I had that history in there. But so 
this guy was shooting custom car paint. He was hand pinstriping the pedals. The dude from the Stardust Hotel was making the logos. The boxes were American. They were throwback. They reminded me of the old, um, I think it's called an Electroglide, the Harley, the the, the double gas mm-hmm. tank. So, you know, I loved all that thing because I'm totally into my, well, I, I sold it to move out here to, to San Diego and keep in business my 55 Buick, 54 Buick. You know, that stuff was mm-hmm. all a a big thing as it started moving along. And I think that's why like Vince Ray, once Vince Ray grabbed a hold of it, then more rockabilly guys. Cause Vince Ray is not rockabilly is psychobilly, you know, it's definitely more punk rock yeah. and cramps with the upright bass and all that stuff. And anyway, you probably got to sign off now. I'm I've taken you left, <laughs> right and sideways, but I'm like, I keep wanting to, uh, like, what What about, oh, wait, he's saying something else I'm interested in. And what about, oh, never mind, let him go. Yeah, well, the, you know, <laughs> actually to finish that giant jog around the block was that I had to actually start working with other guys that don't care, not only do they don't care about Rockabilly, there's just nothing on the radar about vintage music and roots rock music, you know, and it's it's been exciting Um because even with my junior barnyard, that octal two pedal, um, I'm working with another guy um, on this on the West Coast, and you know he loves doing that stuff, and he is perfect, you know, and he's attentive to it. And like our first, and Jim Jimmy hooked us up, <laughs> but my first mm-hmm. meeting with him, it's like here's this dude with long hair, and he's vaping, and he's got all these like uh, full stack Marshalls, and I'm in there like with a with my Gretsch. And my blonde shell, I'm like, this is what I'm trying to do. And he's just like trying, like, what? Who are you, you old freak? You know, this, he didn't, yeah, he, he never <laughs> say that, but we're from different worlds, but we both love pedals and he is a meticulous builder. And because of him, um, I was able to bring back my Ubangi Stomp, which is a take on, uh, you know, there's a million again, old rat pedals, but. I wasn't after mm-hmm. recreating a vintage rat pedal. I was interested in taking that vintage rat pedal that I had, the old white label, um, and the low gain qualities of it. You tweak that and it becomes a really wonderful, dirty, clean drive. You know, um, it's colored, but your guitar is, you know, unaffected. And again, a live stage guy, I'm playing. And I've got these some of these worship songs that I want them to build and rock more, but I don't want to freak out the old people that don't like that stuff, you know. <laughs> so I, I made this Ubangi uh, Stomp. I mean, it, it it came to life from a different venue, but its application for me live was that it's like here comes this rise, a little bit of of dirt, but the clean is still there, and I can start building into it, and then add modulation, and you know. Before these people know it, they have this cacophony of guitar three dimension <laughs> covering them, you know. So, but, you know, that pedal, um, I was building them the first, I don't know, 500 of them are on a stinking tag board. And a rat circuit on a tag board is hell. It's hell if you have to, de- you know, to debug those things. And, you know, and then my son, he's just like, you know, we were building these brain preamps and they're not that hard. And it's like, this thing is ridiculous and you're getting mad at me when they don't work. And so <laughs> I raised the price up on them just because I didn't want to do them anymore. And people kept buying them. 
Uh-huh. And I finally, I just like, all right, I don't care. We're just, we're going to stop it. But again, because I started working with this younger guy who, you know, he knows circuit design and he's, his boards are beautiful. Um, he was able to take my silly tag board builds, you know, with flying leads. And I was very meticulous about the builds and stuff. You know, some guys may say, oh, they look like rat's nests, but they're my rat's nests. And they were built with love and, 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 and tears. <laughs> <laughs> into your a lot of beer well the ubangi well of course but the uh, uh so the yeah so the to ease the frustration yeah the ubangi was a frustration but when i went to to this guy and i shared it was like oh yeah man no problem i see what you're doing you know and i and, and i i went to him and i go yeah um i don't you know we talked about brian setzer well when he was in the stray cats back the early 1981 they were very punk rock in their sound and he was using a basement head into a Vox AC30 cab, and he was using an old deluxe memory man, actually it was a Stereo memory man, and it was clipping on him because those filtertrons clipped the hell out of those early deluxe memory man pedals. But that ugly punk rock grind that he had, um, it's still all twangy and all rockabilly and it's all fully Brian Setzer Stray Cats, but it's like um, that, it's like I, I found my rap pedal. I could do the same thing when I tweaked it. I could get that same sound. So that's, you know, that's what came out of it. But when I finally made it, it wasn't so that I could go and now sound like, uh, well, Brian Setzer's song with the Stray Cats back then, You Banky Stomp. Um, I've never performed that song. I've performed it at, I played at a, a veterans hall and we ended up doing that song once. But, you know, again, it's like, my application was for the for the genre of music that I play live, which for you know is basically pop music, and so I just figured mm-hmm. there's going to be more guys that want this, you know, and yeah, there's a there's a I think oh you know what I didn't tell you is when I was talking about this the stupid Detroit <laughs> casket is the guy that was making me the decals I thought he designed it for me because I told him what I wanted out of it and what he did is he used some. Uh, some art that he had paid for. And it turns out that it was Ryan Burke <laughs> who had done the graphic art for that thing. And so uh, I think, yeah, really? yeah, yeah. And I think Ryan Burke also, I could be wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said his name. Brian Rourke. Um, yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we, yes, yeah. That, so Ryan, so the Ubangi. I think the Ubangi is, through, is, is through his a, artwork too. Um, the only thing I added is I put like the eyebrow of the shrunken head Tiki has got three piercings on his eyebrow. <laughs> but of course, it yeah, because, you know, I do love Tiki. Tiki does not love me. So but that's... Tiki, do- Tiki does not love you, doesn't love you back. <laughs> not last night. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I forgot I heard that story. Um from some, maybe it was from Ryan, I can't remember, but like he's like, yeah, some guy bought it. I don't know how that guy got Ryan's art, but somehow he got. That's just a weird coincidence. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, this is nuts. And um, then I saw dinosaur ghosts, and I was like, oh man, I love this guy stuff. So, but uh, anyway, nice. That's just all these things swimming around, and I'm still. You just you got so you got you got so many things on your mind, don't you? We had, I did not realize how long we had been going until you said, yeah, we probably need to stop. And I looked over <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's been like an hour and a half. Yeah, my wife peeked uh, in. She's like, you want more tea? She was like rolling her eyes like, please let that guy go. 
<laughs> no, that's that's totally cool. That's what it's all about. Well, I mean, you know, we got uh, we've went this far. I think I might as well push it to the two hour mark if you got the time because I got questions. I'm fine. You. I still have tea. Um, all right, good. I got a, I got a I got a random question. So we talked a lot about some uh, uh, you know the space echo and some various you know old style outboard gear. Um, I come across some things in the last couple of years at my local store that I just, I absolutely love them. You've probably seen them before, but I don't hear anybody really talking about them and they kind of have a unique sound to them. And one of them is a cassette based, uh, Univox EC 80. Yep. I've had one uh, tape delay. Um, I am in love with it. I don't play it very often because I know they can be finicky and I don't want it to break. Yours is the blah blah blah. So I just you're, talk, it once you're talking about the one with the little um, dictaphone cartridges in the back. That that's yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes, because I I ended up. I, I love how that thing okay. sounds. Oh no don't. no 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 no! I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> I had interrupted you, so I was letting you finish. Sorry. <laughs> oh. No, I just I love the way it's it's a unique it's a unique tape delay to me. Like it doesn't do what the you know the Space Echo mm-hmm. or you know the Echoplex. It doesn't do doesn't do that yeah. at all. It's really dirty and and messed up. Supposedly um, Eddie Van Halen was using one of those so for good. a bit too. That's what yeah. I hear. I hear that was supposedly uh, on the solo for Eruption. Is the is the rumor? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you never know because that guy won't say. But uh, I've I've been in love with that thing. Um, I think he's still alive, and I don't know what it is. He's still alive, right? No, he's no, he's dead. He <laughs> yeah, I thought he died, and they resurrected him. No, he didn't. Die. He came back, and he looked like <laughs> he joined a CrossFit gym or something. Like he looked, he looks ninety, <laughs> but he's ripped, kind of like Iggy Pop. <laughs> Iggy Pop, I don't know what's going on with him. He's he's ripped, but he's but he's right, not at right. the same time. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> um but then the other one i don't know if you've played i just i'm just bouncing old units i've acquired lately off of you um is the premier 90 spring uh spring reverb from like i don't know the late 60s yeah that's become a that's that's um, in on the hip radar i noticed and it's and it is it's actually is it yeah it's it appears to be and um because the prices on the stinking things have gone up and now that you've mentioned it now it's going to go through the roof again <laughs> or more so <laughs> i i don't know uh i i do know that like i i think that the tone mob uh community is starting to drive the prices up on the ibanez 7 series pedals i'm pretty sure yeah uh, <laughs> i've sent, i know I, I won't i won't shut up about it and uh because the, the de7 sounds so good and like i've noticed like People are catching on. I'm not new. I'm not. I'm. I'm late. Do you to that have game. the corn? Do you have the the corn series one yet? <laughs> I don't. But my buddy Jess just got the the seventh. Yeah, head. it's for like seven. <laughs> supposed to be for seven string guitars. <laughs> I want to catch them all. He's way ahead of me, but I want to catch all the seven series. But yeah, just, well, I'm, I. But that premiere, that premiere reverb specifically, it's it's the preamp in that is so good. It's so good. I don't know what kind of tubes are in it. I haven't even opened it up, but it, I like can turn the reverb off and just push it with a, a, a really hot pickups or, or a clean boost. And I love how it breaks up. Yeah. It breaks up. There so are so cool. many older, older things like that. that just actually sound amazing. And, and not even in the, uh, the music realm. 
um, when I was, when I was really young and I was tired of having to play through my dad's magnetone, um, we, <laughs> we had this stereo that he told me it was a brand new pioneer stereo that we had purchased. And he's just like, I don't want you messing with this. You know, I don't want to hear the stray cats being played through there. I don't want to hear, you know, black Sabbath, nothing. Don't be touching this thing. But when he was gone, <laughs> I figured out a way how to plug in my guitar in through the, the cassette preamp. <laughs> and, of course, <laughs> you know, and play through the speakers. Thank God I didn't blow the horns or I, I would not be alive today, but, um, there's just a lot of really old, even the the little preamp that is in the old Pioneer stereo systems, um, ironically, has the same stupid chip that the Space Echo and the Boss DS1 had. <clears throat> because those... Oh, yeah, interesting. I think a lot of these preamps are all very much alike. And a little bit of, you know, circuit change, uh, even simply, comp you know, one component closer together than the other uh the capacitance changes in them um, they've gotten into arguments about stuff like that too but like i i love my tim pedal um but i don't care for the timmy pedal um it sounds stuffy um especially when again when you're playing hollow body guitars semi-hollows there's something about the tim pedal and with its its wiring and the way it's laid out it's a much more open and dimensional sound than timmy and so not not to go in that direction but you know like with this premiere i'd have to go take a look at the the layout in that particular unit but i you know it's it's not they're not too different from each other and fender actually had um two different um circuit designs with their uh what is it the 6015 um the later one the silver face one which are kind of hard to find that has a more dedicated preamp in it. Um, Billy Zoom loves that one. And I think his, uh, the little kahuna that he makes is based off of that one. And it also has tremolo in it. Well, whereas my, uh, the Nocturne F-bomb is based off of, you know, my 60s, 6G15 um, uh, reverb tank. And... You know, mm -hmm. and, and my focus in that thing was not to be super surf boy uh, at all. It was to enhance the preamp so it didn't sound like ass when I played with my hollow body guitars, you know. So <laughs> we, it's like I obviously didn't rebuild a wheel in that thing. And they're very expensive to make um, if you're going to do it right. And obviously, it's for me, it's, it's, there is an element of cork sniffery in that thing that you probably don't have to have. But the goal was i want my guitar i want i want that big warm sound that i get out of this thing when i play through it but i want my guitar to be cleaner through it i want it to and then like you said with the with it when it would break up with a premiere again i don't i have to look at the layout of it but um one of the things i love that i guess isn't surfy about that fender tank is when it starts clipping when you start pushing it um there's a sound in it that's, you know, you could probably make a, I could probably make a pedal out of it. I don't really see a market for it, but there is a market for, you know, the <laughs> reverb. And so there's a lot of things that are out there that, you know, you plug into and it's like, oh man, these sound so great. And maybe it's because 
we've got so many clones of clones of clones and you know we just automatically know oh that sounds like a tube screamer that sounds like a rat that sounds like you know so mm -hmm. oh yes so much glorious old stuff that flies under the radar that i don't even know about so I'm I'm looking forward to kind of digging through some more of that stuff because like I've been so impressed with these two and they weren't that expensive. When it um, comes to old gear, like, I have a question for you. This is a really weird question, but yeah, um, there, <laughs> there's this weird thing in the Vega DNA. Um, my dad at Christmas time he'd get his present and right after he would unwrap it, he would always smell it, and we're just like always used to make fun of him. You know what are you smelling it for? But I found out it as I got older. <laughs> It's like the fragrance of everything is like so important and I have to like catalog it in my mind and it skipped, it oh, yeah. skipped my oldest son. He thinks that's totally weird, but my youngest son without even realizing dad was doing this was already doing like you get a pair of shoes and you have to immediately smell the leather, you know, get a new guitar strap. Anyway, my point is, is my earliest memories about guitar gear was the weird smell. You go into all these old music stores. It was this old weird smell, but it's glorious. Kind of like when you walk into Harbor Freight and you're overcome by the butyl rubber, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> for the first few minutes you inhale, you're like, oh, so, you know, it's so awesome. So much and then rubber. 10 minutes later, yeah. I have a headache. But the it's it's with those old effects, like the second you said premier, it's like I almost know what it smells like. <laughs> and It does have a smell. And it's really important. It, Which makes me now that we're talking about it, I wonder if I need to incorporate old gear smell into my pedals. I mean, that might give me an edge. I don't. That might be the edge. I don't know how you. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you open up the, you know, like an old, you know, nitro, like an old nitro guitar, or even a newer one that's been in the case for a while, and you get that whiff. Uh -huh. It's like, ah, oh, yes. Yeah. I remember the first time I had that. It was like I opened up this Gibson. I don't remember what it was. It was been in the case for a while. Uh, might have been. No, you know what? It was my first guitar, my first electric. When I first got it, uh, what was I, it? I popped it open, and it. It's uh, it. I still have it. It was uh, like a. I think it was like a two thousand five or two thousand three. Um, Gibson Les Ball Special uh -huh. uh, faded. And are, and um, those were great. Those guitar. are nitro. They're not. They're not poly. No, they're not poly. It's ah. it's nitro, for sure. <clears throat> Especially the way it's wearing. <laughs> yeah, well, I had it. I, I beat you know. My when I'm, what? Th that was my. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I just it, when you, the second you said that, it's like oh yeah, because I I love SGs and my favorite is a was an '86. It was Olympic white, but the nitro had aged so much as banana yellow, you know. And uh, there's and I smelled it. <laughs> A catalog. So it's like we're on the same page there. It's like, ah, oh, yes, I can smell Blake's guitar now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then that's one of – I've talked about it a whole bunch, but um, one of my favorite guitars I got last year. I've been wanting one forever. I'd wanted a white Les Paul Custom, mm -hmm. you know, with the gold and everything. I always wanted one, and I'd played a bunch of them over the years, and I was like, I never liked them. I, was, I just wanted one visually mm -hmm. uh, since I was a kid. And I got to thinking, like, maybe I don't want one of these. Maybe it's not the sound for me, you know? Um, and last year, I, I, I got one. I, I was at, at the store, just like, oh, here's a cool-looking one. And I picked it up, and I gave it a strum and went, 
uh-oh. Like, I hadn't even plugged uh-huh. it in yet. And I really wasn't in the market to buy a guitar at the time. Like, I didn't, didn't you know, I was I just bought some other stuff. And I was like, I don't need to spend the money. Plugged it in. and Or I, I didn't plug it in. I put it back on the shelf. I'm like, not going to plug it in. Because I know that this is probably a really good guitar. And went home. Spent the next couple weeks complaining about it. Uh, and my wife finally was like, okay, will you go get the thing and shut <laughs> up about that guitar? Well, that's awesome. And I was like, that's all the, that's, that's, that's all I needed. And <laughs> like that week it called up the guys at the store. I was like, put it in the back. Don't let anybody take it until I get, get over there uh-huh. to try it. And I, uh, went and plugged it in and yeah, it's, it's been one of my favorite guitars. I, I'm so glad I found it. And it, but it is, it's faded to cut almost that banana. Yellow oh, yeah. Yeah. It's well, you know, that. Not quite that, but and that that's far, awesome. But it's like an antique, very antique white. Yeah, and and it and it will continue, you know, to to get. Well, if you're not careful, it could be full banana yellow. <laughs> if it's a it's an eighty one um, custom. It's so it's, it's good. It's, yeah, it'll go because you know it's weird. Um, like with Gretsch has got a whole weird history, but you know you got these guys fighting over. It's like, well, my Gretsch Nashville's nitro, and it's just like you're you know you're poly finished nitro is or i'm sorry your poly finish gretch isn't as good as this nitro finish and really um because uh japan tarada is the one who who builds all the gretches has been building them since the 90s um they shoot a thin poly sealer coat um and then they shoot nitro on those particular models you know and again here we are with the brian setzer thing Mm -hmm. but there's a the sslvo which is the Gretsch Nashville. Um, if you want to pay the money, you can get the nitro finish, but it's still got poly underneath it. So it's never really going to age and, and, and Amber the way instruments are that, you know, like I've got, this is a name you probably don't even know of, or maybe you've heard of because of uh, Jimmy again, because he's got one of my uh, TK Smith guitars that I've. Oh, I know TK. Okay. Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's like I've got I've got my heroes are like Jesus Christ, Brian Setzer and TK Smith kind of <laughs> sits up there, too, um, because he's a man's man. You know, when I first found he had rebuilt his Buick, he had uh, remodded his house, built all the furniture, and all that stuff. The guitars were just kind of a side thing. But, you know, he uh, the guitars that he makes now mortals can't afford to buy and or or wouldn't want to wait four or five years to, to have them built but for those who can they're getting a guitar that has been uh finely hand sanded and sealed in shellac and then nitrode you know it's uh and guitars like that they will i believe they will sound they will resonate better they will look better and they will smell better <laughs> <laughs> most importantly yeah. they will even though better. ironically i can't stand a nitro neck on a guitar at all i'm i i want i want a polyurethane neck and i you know i slightly sand mine twitch with triple odd um i'm not a sweaty handy guy but it's like i need a poly neck so i know at some point like one of these guitars i'm building i've uh putting together i don't actually build but construct i'm i'm building a uh a takeoff of the the Jupiter uh Billy Bow. And uh you mm, know okay. that I've had the body uh rudders made the body for me kind of like 
you know, said that, that one you've seen that the gym has, um, that one that he has, what's really cool about that is it's a uh, sugar pine. And I went to, I went to Mark Rudders and I said, this is the weirdest request you're going to get. But my mom's new, uh, Hyundai has got the coolest, like blue slate, blue metallic finish to it. And he went and had it matched. And <laughs> so that's really like a, a Hyundai <laughs> slate blue. But the the nitro on it's going to start aging, so it'll be crazy to see what that thing looks like. You know, maybe ten years. I don't know if he keeps them in a case or whatever. But uh, anyway, yeah, those the smells of these guitars and the sounds uh, that they make with the nitro is uh, well, you probably you've already had episodes where you've argued about those things. But um, <laughs> well, you know, I I mean I I'm not like I don't I'm not like one's better than the other you know what i mean that's not really how i'm wired because i got guitars finished with various things that i i Mm. like but i just really like i like nitro because of its uh because of what's wrong with it and what's wrong with it is that it's a little more brittle and it wears differently um poly guitars don't do that because it's a more robust Mm -hmm. finish and i like i like that i like what an old guitar looks like that has been nitro finished i just do so that's really, and I like how it smells. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that's, I, that's the only thing. I forgot my garage smells really bizarre. Like an, like an old, like vacuum and vacuum, um, repair store and an old electronic store. I, um, I have, a, I have friends that kind of keep their eye out for me for collecting these old, uh, the very, very first, um, we're jumping here to Charlie Christian era, uh, 1939 to 1942. Um, but Gibson had, they were handing him, uh, Gibson, um, yeah, it was Gibson there. They're, uh, they weren't actually making the amplifiers, but they were handing him the H1 150 and then it went to the 185. And then for a very short time, um, and there's arguments with it, but they made an EH-275, uh, which the cabinet is made of, I think, I think it's all maple um, with ebony inlay and stuff like that. But um, so I, I've, I have a, an affinity for these old amps, especially barn finds, because they're the only ones that are affordable. But what what you mm-hmm. get with them is, is horrible. And I literally, um, I've had, I've got them unboxed. And there's chicken feathers in them and rat turds and spiders. and <laughs> Of course yeah, there is. Yeah, it's just disgusting. <laughs> but a, a friend found one for me over the holiday. It's in, in prime condition, those those old amps are like four grand right now, especially with reverb, you know, make, dictating everything right now. But um, I got this thing for 800 bucks. And I didn't, I didn't nice. know what I was going to get. Because um, what I'm after in particular is when – they stopped making the EH-150 and the EH-185 came out a little more powerful. Um, they actually overdrive a whole lot more. Um, and you have a separate bass and, and treble control on those things. So there's an extra gain stage. And if you go in the, uh, uh, well, I call it the hot channel. It's their mic channel. Um, the sound's amazing. And it's not like, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan tweed. Um, it's this old, well, like my junior barnyard pedal, because that's what it's, it's based off of that in my old magnetone. Uh, octal tube but mm-hmm. I, I open up the the carton that this thing came in and it's like i knew right away it's somebody that like that does estate sales because the box was all beat and i'm like oh my gosh this thing's gonna be destroyed and broken like so many things but 
they had it in a box in a box and so it came to me perfect but when i opened it up this all those those vintage sewing machine vacuum machine shops that my mom would take me in when i was a kid she was looking for stuff <laughs> and the old electronic stores my dad would take me in all came out of that that amp and and i got lucky as a it's a gold mine find for me because it actually is an eh185 but it still says eh150 on it so it's like right there at night night ah, yeah, transition like right there in 1939 yeah. um but it just it's so old. The Tolex is so old. That's my dad wasn't even born. <laughs> my dad was born in 42. <laughs> you know, but it's like, I'm glad my dad doesn't smell like that now. But um, you walk into my, <laughs> my, my, my garage shop and it smells like an old electronics store just from that amplifier. And it's, and it's been sitting out there for I would two love weeks. That. I like that smell. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a good smell. I yeah. like it. No, I, all right, Tavo. We've we've officially crested oh, the two hour. Oh my mark. gosh! This is a this is a long. This is gonna be. This might be a record. Might well, be you know, it was, it was fun talking to you and uh, getting to know you more. It was. I still have. I, I've got one question okay. for you though. Before we get right. to to this is most. This is the most important oh, question. This is gonna be bad. That that gets asked on this. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> so I want you to be prepared. All right. So Tavo, um, what kind of pizza do you like? What kind of pizza do I like? Yeah. Like I said, it's important. But if I tell you the answer, it's just going to be all mushy and stupid and no one's going to love it because it's my wife's pizza. It doesn't matter. It's my wife's pizza. Well, we need to. <laughs> it's, That's it's, fine. I, it's so strange, but it's like of all the places that, you know, we can go and get pizza. It's like she goes and gets the Trader Joe like uh, dough. And she makes she makes mm -hmm. these uh, barbecue chicken pizzas, and she sneaks in all these vegetables that we don't want. You know, like who wants broccoli on their pizza? And you know, we're we're big. What? Yes, dude, broccoli and sautéed uh, organic mushrooms, the whole bit. Um, but see, yeah, it, I'm down with the mushrooms. Uh, oh, you you've got to actually have it with fresh sliced Roma tomatoes and the broccoli on there with barbecue chicken pizza. Um, but yeah, that, that would be it because we are big, we're big, uh, health snobs. You know, I, I told you earlier, um, uh, I was gonna, before I got on here, I'd have my, my green juice and I basically like took 10 carrots, an apple, ginger, and, uh, I actually, I cheated by using some green, uh, kale powder, but, um, it's not, that's not a lot of fun to drink, but it's good for you. And it, it keeps you alive and keeps you keeps you on top of your game and so when it comes to the what i call the junk food the pizza um i'm kind of a snob man i i want really fresh things and you know once in a while like when we lived in riverside there's this little place called pietro's and you look on yelp and they tear it apart but dude their pizza for regular junk food pizza <laughs> pietro's in riverside is amazing <laughs> but I don't live there now. I live in San Diego and I'm like, it's a whole new country. I'm just, I'm lost out here, but you know, so I'm sure I'll, I'll <laughs> find some awesome pizza place, you know, and then my wife's pizza won't be my favorite anymore. Oh, well, don't tell her that. <laughs> no, she's, she, you'll be, you'll be in trouble used to my horrible ways. She doesn't care for food. That's why she's thin. 
for her, it's like food is uh-huh. nothing but sustenance, you know? And while the rest of us are like mm. all dreaming about what we're going to eat the next meal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the one thing I like better than guitar gear is food. Yeah. I love food. It's, Man, I love well, you're it so still, much. Don't get you're me started. Young, we'll go though. for it. We'll go for you're another young. two hours. You, you got to eat all that good food while you can because then you start getting my age and heartburn takes over when you do things you're not supposed to, like have too many uh, chichis at the tiki bar in one night. <laughs> the cheat, by the way, chichis are a great drink. <laughs> it's, it's, we can talk about that some other time. Tiki drinks. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> we'll talk about food and tiki drinks on the mm, next. Sounds one. good. All right. Thanks for coming on Tavo. And I'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. Woo. I've been standing here for a long time. This is great. Uh, for Tavo, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, that does it for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for uh, sticking around after the little hiatus I had. I'm going to try to minimize those. Can't guarantee they're never going to happen, but definitely going to try to minimize them. And as you may or may not have heard, there was a big announcement in the last episode kind of regarding the state of Tone Mob, the state of uh, everything that we got cooking over here, just... A big update where I basically am going to be working full-time in the gear industry and should have a lot more opportunity to bring you more and more content, more and more podcasts, more and more just all this good gear stuff. So um, if you want a little more detail, go ahead and hit up the end of the last episode and I uh, do a little bit of a ramble there. But until then, um, I am going to be at NAMM. This year, again, yes, that wonderful thing we call Winter Nam. And if you're going to be there, please do look me up. Shoot an email to info at tonemob.com. Message me on all the social medias at the Tone Mob, uh, pretty much across the board. And, you know, join the Facebook group. We got the Tone Mob, Tone, Tone Mib, Tone Mib, uh, the Tone Mob Facebook group. And uh, we're all in there near now. I can't talk. Of course, it's kind of late at night at this point, but I don't have to explain myself to you. It just is what it is. I can't talk right now. The Tone Mob Facebook group, you can go in there and hear me say all kinds of more dumb stuff, uh, along with a bunch of much more intelligent people who actually can inform and uh, entertain you. So check that out. Uh, Again, if you're going to be at NAMM, look me up, info at tonemob.com for the email, and, you know... Have yourself a good week, and thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, 
and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.